and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. Hi folks and welcome to another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward. This is Phil Jesson, Graham Jones and I'm Simon Hazeldean and in this episode, this is part one of a two-part episode, we're going to be talking about the all-important sales pitch and what we're talking about here is the big competitive sales pitch where your organization has been invited in as part of the buying process of the customer and you're now going to be presenting to a group of people who are involved in making the buying decision and you are probably up against one or two other companies at this stage in a head-to-head sales pitch or is it sometimes called a beauty parade where you are on show and the customer will be using how you uh, deliver your presentation, etc., to to make their buying decisions. So we're talking in this one about planning for this all-important occasion. In the second session, we will talk about actually delivering that sales pitch. So over to Mr. Phil Jessen in terms of planning and preparing for the sales pitch. Thank you, says he, about to cough on a drink. (laughs) Um, bad yes, timing, the, sorry. No, no, bad timing on my part, not <clears> yours. Um, well, the first thing I'd like to uh, suggest is that within our audience that we're going to see, let's call it three or four people, um, there will be some people that we know, hopefully, uh, what we might call our allies, hopefully, uh, and obviously some people that we don't know. So one of the uh, uh, one of my first points is you know, how do we leverage the people that like us in this situation what can they tell us behind the scenes what can they tell us off the record Uh, what can they tell us about their colleagues in the room and some of their colleagues likes and dislikes and so on Uh, another thing that i think we can do with the uh, audience is to establish a rapport with it before the meeting so for example i very often find out from uh, my customer uh, who's going to be there and I'll often say okay well I'd just like to send an email around uh, explaining what I intend to cover on the day but on that email it will also often say uh, please let me know what your expectations are Uh, if you have anything you'd like me to cover uh, very happy to do that please uh, please let me know Uh, it has the um, uh, the other benefit of course that if they don't tell me there's anything they want to want me to cover, then if I don't cover it on the day, then I'm actually uh, bomb-proof in a sense because uh, I can simply say, okay, well, didn't know about that, uh, blah, 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 need to yep. stick to the plan. So those are just um, uh, two things that I would offer by way of working the people that we know and trying to uh, build that rapport and relationship uh, before we actually get there. And something else that I found <clears throat> successful with your allies is 
an ally is someone inside the organisation who is very pro you, very supportive of you. They would actually like <coughs> you to win the business. And depending upon your relationship with that person, you can actually get them to almost coach you through your presentation. So a number of times we've actually got that person to do a dummy run presentation and we've gone through what we're going to deliver on the day mm. and they'll critique it and say yes do more of that do less of that no don't say that you'll find Kevin's very interested in this as you as you were saying but mm. it allows you actually to to stress test I think yes. your sales pitch before you before you go in yeah absolutely um, and if you've got that person on your side <clears throat> your chances of winning are very 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 good yeah. Well, that's dealing with the people you know. Yes. What about the people in the room you don't know? What about these people who are going to be wheeled in from some department or division yeah. or you know, procurement even that you don't know? Yeah. How, how do you plan for them? Well, I always try to find out who is yeah, going to quiet. be there from, from the person organising it. Get names, understand job function and where they're from. And if possible, what role they're playing and why, why yeah. they are there, then you can sometimes have a little look on LinkedIn. That's and what see, I do. Yeah, yeah you, so I, you look on. Look on I think I think yeah. the roles thing is um, very important because I think many salespeople have the fairly standard pitch and slide deck, but of course it needs to be flexed. So if there are four people in the room, but three of them have a heavy finance type of interest then clearly a lot of the presentation needs to be pitched around ROI return on investment Um, if there are people in the room with a sales and marketing role then our presentation needs to explain how our solution will benefit their customers if there's HR people in the room then we need to explain how our solution will benefit the customers people so Knowing what the role is will actually help us tailor the message for those specific individuals. Uh, and whilst I'm on the subject of tailoring, and this is really more Graham's area than mine, uh, there will, of course, be people in the room who work and behave in a totally different way. Uh, again, straight out of the manual, some are activists, some are theorists, uh, some are pragmatists, some are reflectors. Uh, work that is out there if our audience want to Google any of that, but making sure that the presentation is tailored to meet those human needs. Forget the content and the business solution, but are we tailoring the presentation to meet those human needs? And again, I'm stating the obvious here, but some people are visual, some people are auditory, and so it goes on. So again, is the presentation built to reflect the personal characteristics of the people in the room, many of whom we won't know, but hopefully our ally, if we want to call him or her that, will give us a steer on that. It will, but you can also find that out from their LinkedIn profile, because you just Mm -hmm. look at the way they've written their LinkedIn profile, and if they're a visual thinker, there'll be lots of visual words in their profile, and if they're an auditory thinker, there'll be lots of sounding words in their profile. Mm -hmm. So all you've got to do is look at their profile, and you can see the way they think, because of the way they've written their profile. Do you just want to explain what some of those visual or auditory words might well, so, actually... so somebody in their profile might have written something like um, you know they've got a project listed on their profile and it will say um, when I saw this project to completion 
Well, they're yes. a visual person. Yeah. Uh, whereas they might have uh, written about the project was that uh, this this project went very well, but I feel it could have achieved more than I was able yeah. to contribute at the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, they're a kinesthetic. They're a feeling thinker. So you can just see the words in their profile. You can see what kind of people you've got in the room. So if you've got four yeah. people in the room and you've got four profiles and they're all visual people, you don't need to worry about anything else because you can do an entirely visual-based mm. presentation. But whether they're visual thinkers or auditory thinkers or whatever, everybody remembers more and engages more if they participate. Mm, yes. So participation is more... So rather than just planning, what you're going to deliver is just stuff you... I call it verbal vomit. You just kind of pour it all over them. Yeah. Uh, if they're involved, engaged in some way, then they actually remember more. So one of the things to do is to plan their involvement and yes. get them to participate in doing something. Well, that's particularly going to appeal to the activists, isn't it? Quite, yeah. Because <clears throat> yeah. they won't sit there. They're not, no. Some of them are just not going to, not going to sit there. Yeah. And on LinkedIn, I suppose you've got a couple of choices. One is you can make yourself anonymous when you're doing this research yep. by, by making the appropriate setting yep. so they'll know somebody's looked but they won't know who it is. I actually favour not being anonymous. I want them to see that I have looked at their LinkedIn profile because... That you're doing your research. Well, particularly because we're usually selling in sort of some sort of sales training or sales consultancy where we will be advising their people to do their research. So we have to practice what we preach. Right. So see, oh, Simon Hazeldean has looked at your profile then maybe they will also click across and have a look at my profile. Then I'm not a stranger when they see me the next day and I can also see right. what they've looked. So but also I look at other things. I try and find them on Facebook. Yes. I try yes. and find them on Twitter. Because sometimes people go, well, I'm very professional on LinkedIn. And so you actually don't find out about the person. Yeah. So I was doing a pitch recently where uh, I found a you know, very professional kind of profile of the CEO but I went and looked on Facebook, and there he was with his children, who were doing the ice bucket challenge at home yes. with him, his two kids pouring buckets of water over him for a family-based event, raising cha- funds for a local charity. Nothing to do with his job, yes. so that's why it wasn't on his LinkedIn profile. But of course, in the discussion, I was able to talk about the ice bucket challenge, and wasn't it good to see that he'd raised so mm. much money? Yeah, <clears throat> it's all the nice. sort of it's, it's, it's understanding the <clears throat> so it's understanding the people. So you know, in terms of, uh, I think what you do need to do as part of your planning is understand the decision making process. What are the what are the stages that they're going to go through? Where does this sales pitch fit in? Yeah, and what decision is made at each stage? So, for example, it might be post sales pitch. We'll take the three suppliers down to two, and we'll look at the two more. Yeah. We'll take the three down to one. And, but you need to understand what's going to happen, what decision is made, what criteria are they using. So, for example, we will often get cultural fit, which can be quite difficult to yeah. understand how to measure, but they're looking for some sort of degree of fit. And then when will that decision take place? So if you understand those things, you're in a reasonably good place. I have a question for you. <clears throat> Let's imagine that the beauty parade consists of four organisations turning up on the day. Two in the morning, let's call it nine o'clock and eleven o'clock, yeah. and two in the afternoon, let's call it two o'clock and four o'clock. Yeah. We are one of those four, and our friendly client, who we like and is very close to us, our friendly client says, well, you choose where you want to go. Yeah. Do you want to go first, second, third, or fourth? 
What would your answer be on that? My answer will be first or last, because the brain remembers... Because you like your lunch. Yes, I like my lunch. (laughs) (laughs) The brain remembers primacy and recency, uh, and usually I would opt for going first, because the panel are fresh and have the highest energy level um, than last. That's my personal preference. I'm also much better in the morning than I am in the afternoon personally. I'm a very strong morning person, so I'm going to be at my best. I should point out to our listeners that it's now the afternoon. Yeah, it is. A, <laughs> so I shall be, this will not be the best session for me ever. So uh, and post our traditional lunch at the sales chat show, which we always have the same thing, don't we, gentlemen? So club sandwich with accompanying chips or fries for our American. It's a cultural no. icon at the sales chat show. Graham. I would, first, uh, second, for the same psychological fourth. reasons, I'd go first or last for the primacy or recency reasons, but I would choose between those based upon their LinkedIn profiles, because what I do is I'd look at whether they were a primacy or recency person, and that again is given clues. Give give me some clues, give me some clues on how you know. Because if you look at their profile, have they ordered their jobs by the first job or the last job? So, because you can order things in any way you like on on LinkedIn. Have they ordered their experience by first or last, or is it just alphabetical or whatever? So there will be clues in their profile as to what way they think. And if the room is mostly recency people, then I'd opt for the last one. If it's mostly primacy, I'd opt for the first one. But if it wasn't clear from their LinkedIn profiles, I'd opt for first. Yeah, yeah. So there's some common themes there. Then we seem to be going for first, uh, getting off to a good start, uh, raising the bar, hopefully, so our three competitors can't jump it, in a sense. Yeah. That's what we're saying. Or sometimes sort of sabotage or lay a few landmines. If you understand your competitors well and you understand your strength, sometimes you can position some things first that will also shape the questions the panel will ask the subsequent. So if we're doing sales training, for example, I'll usually say something like, we're not planning today to talk too much about the training specifically because we're going to say the same things as everyone else that we're really good and our people are really good. And you can see the panel nodding because that's what they're expecting. So in fact, what I'd like to talk about is this. That then sabotages effectively the people who follow because they start doing exactly the thing that I say we're not going to do. Because it's not the sales training. Well, I used to say it's not the training that matters, it's the results. So let's talk about those, which is what they're buying anyway. Every one of our competitors will usually say the same thing about the product they're providing. So we differentiate by talking about results. And that's a bit of a landmine sabotage tactic. The the other thing, a bit of sabotage you can do if you go first, of course, is that you can have pre-arranged bits of follow-up to your presentation so that you've got pre-planned emails that arrive or LinkedIn connections or things that arrive. And, of course, between each event, each of these beauty parades they inevitably are going to be checking their messages yes. and emails. Yes, and suddenly, midway between two other presentations, they've now got a further communication from you, which means even though they saw you at 9 o'clock in the morning and it's now 2 o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly you've popped back to front of mind. And they've had somebody yeah. else. So going first gives you opportunities to mm. keep reminding them whilst they're looking at other people that you are doing good things for them. Okay, so yeah. let, let's imagine that... Um, uh, an account manager listening to us talking today uh, is tapped on the shoulder and uh, his or her boss says, this presentation coming up next Tuesday, I, I'd like to come along on that. 
So there are going to be two of two people there: the account yeah. manager plus the boss. How does the account manager deal with the boss? Clear roles and responsibilities, yeah. uh, very very strongly. I would suggest very very strongly. Just because you're the most senior person in the room does not mean you're the best qualified person to deliver the pitch. I would say. Um, it reminds me really of uh, a few years ago I was working for a, a large phone company and uh, every year there is a, a thing called GSM World which is held in Barcelona for all the mobile phone companies all around the world and the, this chief executive of this phone company had been asked to chair a panel and the other people on this panel at the end of the day were his equivalent CEOs of the other mobile phone companies so you've got this panel discussion was five CEOs, world global CEOs of mobile phone companies, question and answer panel in front of about a thousand people was the expected audience. And he said, he was asking me, how do I chair this panel? And I said, but what's the outcome of the panel? What questions, what answers do you want to give? And he said, I don't know. He said, you know, they'll just, you know, they're all chief executives, they'll deal with any answers. And I go, well, that's no good because you, this is a performance in front of a thousand people. You, as a group of chief executives, have got to decide what messages you want to give out from that panel, regardless of the questions you might or might not get. Yes. You've got to decide what the answers are going to be between you in advance. And he was amazed that I was suggesting it would be that organised and that, you know, rehearsed. In fact, they did do that, and it went down very well, of course. But I think it's the same for a sales pitch. If you've got anybody else coming in with you, You've got to have rehearsed your roles, your outcomes, what you want to do as a team. And even if it is your boss or your boss's boss, they've got to know their role and what they say and when they remain quiet and what they're, what they're meant to do there. It's and got to be And what not to say quiet. and how and when to pass the ball yeah. back to you if they are yeah. addressed directly. A so few code the, words where potentially yes. we, the, yeah. the account manager realizes the boss wants to say something or yeah, yeah like shut up now or is that the code <laughs> word you were thinking of? Yeah. I mean, one, one, <laughs> one of my friends used to work for a, a very very large IT company and, and told me a story of a very very large sales pitch to a very big bank in the city of London, and they flew in the American CEO on his on his jet, but. They knew this guy's a very powerful, very famous individual, but they scripted him very carefully. And uh, and um, this was a tongue-in-cheek comment from my friend. They said we sort of wheeled him in. He said what he'd been asked to say, and then we sort of wheeled him back out again. Uh, but it was very carefully controlled. He was there. His important role was to say, you're very important to us, so I've come all this way to show that we're very interested in working with you. That was his contribution. It wasn't an active role in the sales pitch because yeah. he didn't know that level of detail. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore it could have potentially got dangerous. Mm. Okay. And then the other thing about the people in the room is who they are, what job they do, but what role are they playing in the decision-making process? Are they actually a decision-maker? As in, if, they, if enough of them say, yes, you're going to be selected... Or are they an influencer, where if they say yes, that's good news, doesn't mean you get the business, but if they don't like you, that could be a problem. Are they there because they might have to work with you afterwards? They're not going to be actively involved in the decision, but they are going to have to work with you, so their opinion will again matter. And, you know, I have we had a sales pitch a few years ago, 12 people in the room, and all we could find out about one person was, 
Um, well, he's not actively involved, and their country aren't going to be doing this, but he's just interested. <laughs> and we, so we've got like the international man of mystery in the room, and we're not. And despite all the questions we're asking, we couldn't actually find out why he was there. But he obviously had some sort of an interest. And it transpired that much later on, you know, we got a phone call from him to say, oh, can you come and talk to us? But at the time, I mean, we were really uncomfortable because we didn't know why he was there. We didn't know how important he was or not. But nobody sits in a sales pitch for no good reason. No. You know, so that's... They've got better things to do with their time, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. We did have 12 people. That's rather a large decision. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. But then not all of them are actively involved. You know, who is... So you can probably spend a little bit more time focusing on them. Yeah. But I think even with 12 people, you should not ignore anybody no. in the room because you never know. Mm. You never know who's got the ear of the certain, the certain yeah. person. Okay. And what about PowerPoint or not PowerPoint or Keynote or not Keynote for Mac, Mac people? What's your views, gentlemen? Slides or no slides by way of preparation? None. None. You're a non. None. None. No PowerPoint. Yep. This is a conversation between people, okay. and you're trying to influence these people to buy from you. It's a bit like trying to influence your wife that you want to go and see the next James Bond movie or whatever it is. Do you sit down at the dinner table with your wife and say, now, uh, on Friday night, let me get the first slide out, and you get your slides out and say, you know, this is what we normally do on a Friday, this is what we could do next Friday, and this will be the result, we'll have a happier Friday. And you don't get your slides out to influence your wife to go to the cinema. God, why no. would you get the slides out to influence somebody to buy from you? That's why we didn't get to see James Bond. I Frank knew I was doing. I knew I was doing. Yeah, yeah, I knew I was doing something. Yeah. I mean, there is a case to say if you want to be different, that you don't. You do something because everybody's. You usually everyone else is going to be using slides. So it, dep- it depends what their expectation is. I mean, if, if for example. In our research, uh, we hear the words, well, we're expecting a bit of a show. Uh, that yeah. might suggest that we have got to show something. It, it, for me personally, I would uh, normally go with one slide, mm-hmm. uh, supported by whatever, a written proposal or yeah. two or three handouts yeah. or whatever. But I, I normally go with the one slide which attempts to summarise where they are now, where they're going in the future, how they're going to get there and how the proposal can actually help. But... Beyond that one slide, no, I wouldn't bother. I mean, this is your sort of very, very excellent strategic bridges idea, which is, you know, on a slide can be very, very powerful. And if here's where you are now, here's where you want to be, here's how you're going to get there, that Phil does, Phil does yeah. so well, which I think is a great visual thing to have. I'm a big fan of handouts because it yeah, creates interaction right. and involvement yeah. for them to... There is the slight risk... The, and, the, and the reflector will want the handouts. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. And, 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 and what, what I see so many times when we're coaching salespeople is the same slides every time. And it's not the fault of the slides, it's the fault of the person using them. There's, yeah. the, there's the title slide with their logo on it. Then slide one is, here's, here's why we're brilliant. Slide two is, here's some more stuff about us. And then the ubiquitous map of the world slide showing all of the office locations. Is it relevant? Is it relevant? Are they interested? And don't start off by talking about you and your planning. They're not there to talk about you. They're there to talk about them, you know. Mm. So I know sometimes they say, we will want to hear about your company capabilities. But I'd only do that once you've spoken about what their objectives are. Mm. For me, you talk about yourself last, not first. Yeah, no, I agree with that. 
Sorry, I got a bit bored then. You were going through your company history and all the rest of it. I would have chipped in earlier, but yes. I, I kind of drifted off. Dr- drifted off while I was droning on and on about the heritage of my company and, and showing you the picture of the founders in 1847. Do you mean you're not interested in our founders and in our 1847? First, our first building. Yeah, our the first p- office. Yes. <laughs> And you're not interested in that. By the way, folks, if marketing, your marketing department have sent you the canned slide presentation, oh, I think uh, my best advice is to throw that away and, uh, and start again. So uh, any other tips, hints, gentlemen, on planning and preparation? No, just on the subject of uh, slides, and I know some of our listeners will be under orders to use slides, yes. I would still say that within the... 10 slides that might typically feature in the corporate slide deck. They don't have to go in the same running order each time. Uh, They should be put in a running order that tells the story that's going to be of most interest to the audience, even if that means uh, risking the wrath of the marketing director from one's own company. I have a feeling that if you successfully close the deal... The wrath will not be very much. No. <laughs> the one thing I would say about the the compulsion to use slides. Yeah. So if you're in your planning, your bosses say that you have to use slides. Your bosses are not going to be at the meeting. Yes. So they've no idea whether you have used the slides or not. So you can prepare those slides for that client, and you can deliver those slides without ever showing them, because yeah. you can deliver them as printed handouts or on a USB stick. Yeah. You can give them the slides, but you don't have to go through them, and therefore you haven't bored the audience to death. Yeah. Um, but you've met, you've done what your boss said, give them the slides. I've given them yeah. the slides. Yeah. The fact they didn't want to look at them, neither here nor there. And I think the other thing on planning and preparation is just make sure you absolutely know where it's taking place, when it's taking place, where the parking is or not. Yeah. Laptop fully charged, just in case you can't connect to power. Get there on time. Get there on time. Your own data projector, just in case their data projector isn't working. If you're going to use internet-based material, make sure you've got screenshots. I know, Graham, you do that. You talk about the internet a lot. Graham never trusts or assumes, should I say, that the internet is going to be working, even though you ask for it and say you need to have it, because Mm. then you're you're completely stuck, because you never know. It's just too... It's too unpredictable. The other thing about laptops at meetings, if you are going to use them, is the night before is make sure that you've done all the up software updates and you've done all of antivirus updates because what will happen, you'll switch it on yeah. and it will connect to the internet and you're halfway through your presentation up will come a little window saying, you know, you've got an update or something. Do all that before you go. Yeah. I mean it's just ba- it's just kinda yeah. like basic stuff and you know, just just don't leave anything to chance, and make sure you're well fed and watered as well. You know, and you definitely that you features quite heavily in your comments, doesn't it? It does, yes. Yeah. Always chips, but chips. Yeah, traditional uh, sales chat show chips. Just um, just one comment on the uh, the room that we might be doing this presentation in. Uh, we might be able to influence the seating plan. We yeah. might be able to influence what type of room it is. For example, if we've gone for Graham's discussion style. Yeah problem-solving environment, then maybe we can create at the end of the room more of a round-table feel to it rather than a board presentation. And um, uh, some of my clients uh, would also uh, be sitting here now saying they've been very successful in uh, inviting the prospect to their premises to do the presentation. Yes. Yes. So rather like a football team, they are playing on home territory. 
Um, and that might be justified if they need a, a quick 15-minute tour around the factory yes. or whatever to see this product solution or whatever it might be. Okay. So we're not stuck with the... No. The room, that's really what I'm saying. We can influence it. And you can also, if you don't know who the boss is or the most influential person is, you will know where they're going to sit. So they will sit, uh, the person who's going to be the most influential to your meeting will sit facing the door, well, not with their back to the door, uh, and they will not sit at the end. So if you've got a table in the middle of the room, a board table, they will sit opposite the door and they will probably be second in from the end. So that will usually be the position that most uh, influential people will sit, the most powerful person will sit. However, if you're there in advance, you can decide where the people will sit because you take name tags and you put their name tags and people will sit wherever you put their name, regardless of where uh, they really want to sit. And we can also position our boss in amongst that seating plan uh, with uh, a role, coming back to your point, Simon. If the role is to keep the difficult decision maker quiet then we might put our boss right next to that individual just yeah. to um, you know nudge so, him a little bit and sales pitches by their nature can be unpredictable you're never quite sure what you're going to be asked but what you can do is maximize your success rate by planning and preparing for everything you can think of and attempting maximum control over everything yeah. that you can have maximum control over that will also help your psychological state and make you feel more Organise and always, always for a big one, rehearse it. Oh, yeah. Always, always rehearse it. Maybe get some colleagues in to play the part of the customers and ask some difficult yeah. questions and just see how you're going to respond. Yeah. So all of that, all of that hard work. Obviously, the amount of preparation and planning you do is is in some way related to how valuable the deal is to to your organisation. Yeah. So that if it's absolute top flight, going to be a real business changer, you want to spend as many days, even possibly yeah. as you as you need to to do, or even longer to do the presentation. So hopefully that's been of use to you, folks listening in. Uh, please remember this is part one of two. So this is about planning for the pitch, and part two is going to be about the all important delivery of the pitch. So uh, make sure you're listening to the other episodes so it's been graham jones phil jessen and simon hazeldean for the saleschatshow.com thank you very much for listening you have been listening to an episode of the sales chat show to stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success please visit saleschatshow.com thank you very much for listening to this episode and from everyone here at the sales chat show we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling <laughs>